This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We're in Genesis chapter 30 for the last Bible study in this chapter, and we're going to be moving on to chapter 31 tomorrow. It's good to be with you this morning. Good to uh, spend some time in God's Word and a uh, little time fellowshipping. We got a neat passage that we're dealing with this morning. It is a, a passage that has a lot of farming in it. I guess that's the best way for me to say it. It's got a lot of goat and sheep herding. And I know many of you who are maybe listening elsewhere in the country and in the world might think you're from Alabama. You ought to know a lot about farming. And the truth is I do come from a background as far as my grandparents and my great-grandparents who were farmers and did a lot of farming, cattle farming, did, had gardens and produced a lot of, I, I remember as a child being in the garden with both my grandfathers and at their houses and seeing them work and do the things that farming requires. But the truth is that my knowledge of that is very limited. Both my parents were had were worked in professions that didn't have anything to do with farming. And so my background is not into farming, much to your chagrin. I am not a farming expert. That being said, a lot of things that uh, is talked about here are neat and interesting. And they're not only neat and interesting, it is interesting to see how God blessed Jacob and God handled this situation, even though Jacob uses the knowledge that he had to bring about his benefit. Remember, yesterday he's asked Jacob that he's asked Laban to take his family, take his children, and go back to his own country. And Laban says, please don't leave me. If I found favor in your eyes, stay with me. I figured out that you are a blessing to me, and I don't want to lose you. And uh, the truth is, Jacob doesn't have a lot of possessions. All he's got's a wife and children. And so he's not been paid a lot working for Laban. He's just been one of his servants, but he's also made him a very rich man because Jacob comes from a heritage of faith and he comes from a heritage of those who knew what they were doing as far as being successful. And that is important. That There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's very good. He comes from a heritage of faith. His grandfather is the man of faith in the Old Testament, Abraham. And his father is Isaac, who Bible clearly states was every bit as every bit as knowledgeable and wise and every bit as respected as his father was after after him. And his uncle is a great man also. And so it's obvious that God has his hand on him and is blessing him and is moving in his life. And he's using him for blessing. You say, I, I don't have the benefit of that. And so many times in our society, we want to say that someone is privileged because of that. And what we do is we use that as an excuse for someone who is not privileged to not actually become what they could be because they're behind the eight ball. The truth is, just because 
you didn't grow up in that situation or you didn't grow up with those privileges doesn't mean that God's not going to bless you and doesn't mean, very importantly, it doesn't mean that God's not prepared to use you in a very special way to prove his greatness. Remember, God's grace is most wonderful. It's most shining. It's most redeeming when it takes that which is totally broken and makes it alive and new and useful for the kingdom. And if you don't come from what we would call a privileged background, or you don't come from a spiritually tuned background, a background where you understand a scripture, you grew up in the church, maybe your family never went to church. You're a very special part of God's kingdom. And the reason you are is, now you may never attain to some of the things that people around you do who come from a background where they're taught God's word growing up and where they have a heritage of faith. You may never ever attain to that. It's possible that you don't. But that doesn't mean that the value of who you are in the kingdom is less. In fact, your value might even be greater because God's always in the business of doing new things. He is a God of new beginnings. And that is who he is. And that's one of his great attributes. And if you don't have that in your life, I would say to you that you are the starting point. And what a wonderful place to be is the starting point. Let's just face it. Who's the greatest, Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob? Maybe financially, Isaac maybe attained to greater heights than his father, Abraham. Maybe Jacob did also. Maybe they understood things maybe a little deeper than their fathers did because they moved on past them. But the greatest one clearly in scripture is Abraham. Why? Because he was the start. He was the start. And, and so his name is the greatest name because he's the first one. And I would say that to you if you're not from that heritage of faith. I would say to you that you're the starting point. And what a wonderful place to be is the starting point. You're the first in line. And we all wanted to be the line leader when we, when we were in grade school, didn't we? You are that. And those who come behind you are going to be blessed by you. And you're going to be a blessing to them. And what a wonderful place to be. Don't take those things as issues because they're not. You are uniquely made to glorify God in your own unique way. And God is absolutely in the business of doing that in your life. And he's doing it in a very special way. And he wants to do it that way. So it says, now Jacob took for himself rods of green, poplar, and of almond, and of chestnut trees. He peeled white stripes in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. Now, remember, he gets all the speckled and the spotted goats and sheep, and Laban gets all the, I guess the way to say it is monocolor. He gets all the white, black, brown. I guess that would be all the colors of sheep. But like I said, I'm not a farmer, so I don't know. But anyway, if there's purple sheep, he got Laban got the purple ones, okay? I'm quite sure they're not, but he did. And if they're purple sheep, he got them. He got all the monocolor sheep, and Jacob got all the speckled and spotted sheep. Now, I'm told, and I understand this to be the case, that the monocolored sheep are the most prevalent type of sheep. They're the, and I know that because every time I see sheep, they're always one color, okay? And it, that, that just from my history, I think that to be ca the case, that's not necessarily my, like I said, I'm not a farmer. I don't know. But I do know that speckled and spotted sheep and speckled and spotted goats are not the norm. 
And in fact, over in that part of the world, because of this story, and probably just because of the importance of God's word, speckled and spotted sheep, especially goats, are called Jacob's goats. And the reason is because he took them, and they were unique, and they were different. And he peels some branches and exposes the white, and then he sets them up where they drink. And I guess where they drank is where they made it. And he says, verse 39, so the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. So somehow, either Jacob understood this because he'd been doing it, and he, he learned it from his grandfather and his father, or maybe, maybe God does something here that Jacob didn't understand, but it seems like Jacob knows it. He sets it up so that when the children come, when, when the conceptions happen, that almost all the sheep that are conceived are speck on spot, and he's going to get those. Now, you tell me, he may have been a great businessman. He may have been a great farmer. He, it may be God's a blessing, and it's quite clearly that God is blessing him because God could have caused this not to work. And he says, Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the street and all the brown in the flocks of Laban. But he put his own flock by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. So he's, he is separating them out, and he is about building him some wealth so that he can go away with his family and children. And I don't know exactly all that's going into this, and I can read what other people say, but I don't get a spiritual sense. And remember, when I'm teaching you from the Bible, I want to teach you the truth. I want you to know the understanding of the language behind it. I'm going to give you all that as much as I have, and I generally have. I generally bring a lot to the table. But I also want to give you the spiritual depth of the passage. And when we're studying God's Word, we don't want to just study it as a novel in the sense of, I, I don't mind you reading it as a novel, but I want you to understand that it has deep spiritual meaning. And everything that takes place in Scripture has deep spiritual meaning. And I want you to see that, and I want you to understand that, and I want you to search it out. And obviously, what Jacob chose was the unique ones. Ch Jacob chose the ones that were not common. He chose that he would, ha he would have those, and then he produced those. He made those happen. He set it up so that the type of sheep and the type of goat that he was supposed to have were the ones that were being reproduced. Now, for me, as a shepherd, and looking at this, it, it makes perfect sense as a pastor. We want to take the ones who are unique, and what makes you unique is that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we want to separate you out, and we want to reproduce you into others. And we want to see the kingdom spread to those who are in your family and to those who are out there in the world. And there's a recognition that not everyone has eyes to hear and not everyone has to see and not everyone has ears to hear. Not everyone understands God's word and not everyone is part of God's kingdom. And my job is to separate those out. Oftentimes in the modern day church culture that we live in, we want to fill our church full of lost people thinking that the worship service is for the is the place where lost come to know Jesus Christ and that's clearly not scriptural and i want to say that it's not now do lost people come to church and sometimes realize that they're lost and are born again yes but i would tell you that they're already born again they just coming they're just coming to that place where god is bringing them 
to their to their point where they make a decision for him he is he's bringing them to their conversion experience god's already at work in their lives but so many times we want to attract the world to church and expect that they're going to be changed by showing up in a worship service worship is for god's people worship is for the nourishment and the edification of god's people god's people are for the world we're the light to the world and the great commission says jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me this is matthew 28 18 through 20 it's been given to me and therefore go or as you go into the world make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey all that i've commanded you and truly or surely I am with you all, I'm with you to the end of the age. He is at work all the time. But notice, we're to do what? We're to go from where we're at, that's the presence, that's the power of God, that's the congregation of God, and we're to make disciples from the world. We're not to go and bring the world to the church and let the worship service make disciples. We're to make disciples. And discipleship making is done out in the world. Discipleship making is done with people who are struggling out in the world. Discipleship making is done while we go out there and see those who have an open open ears to God's word. They have an open heart to God's truth. And then we feed in that truth and allow the spirit of God to draw them or woo them in so they are converted. But uh, the truth is God's already at work in their lives because they wouldn't even listen or hear if he had not already placed in them a new spirit and was in the process of bringing them to him. Discipleship is done that way. And uh, so many times we want to fill the church up with those who are lost and then expect that our church is going to be powerful and expect that our, church is go our, ch our churches are going to be holy and be exceptional. And the truth is they may be full, they may be large, but oftentimes they are powerless. Oftentimes they're full of people who act like the world all the time even at church at times, they act like the world all the time, and they are lost still. They wander away because they're not a part of the church, and we wonder why we bring a 1,000 in the front door and 950 go out the back door, and what are we doing wrong? Well, you're doing nothing wrong. The 950 never were a part of the church. They were never born again, and they were never, ever going to be a part of the kingdom at that point in time because they weren't born again at that point in time. And I can't, it's such a difficult subject to deal with because we believe we need to invite people to church. What you need to do is not invite people to church. You need to invest in their lives. And then once they see the good, they see the God in you, where they see the kingdom and they're attracted to it, then you share with them what God's doing and ask them to come. See, that is an investment of hope and life into somebody's, into who they are. And then they're attracted to it so that you know that God's moving in their life. And then you bring them, you bring them to the presence of God so that they might see him, so that they might be in a place where they can recognize who he is and that they might be changed or converted. That's the process. And it's always been the process. And it's the biblical place and the biblical way of doing things. And bringing a bunch of lost people together and just inviting them to come to church as if that is some kind of magic trick is not biblical. We're to go out there and we're to be light to the world and then bring them in, not just blanket invite people to church and expect that that's going to somehow 
make our church successful. Remember, Jesus builds the church. And what that requires is for him to be at work through the Holy Spirit in the lives that he is He is changing and making new. And you're to be out there looking for those people. And you're to be out there in those search vessels looking for those who are lost but are part of the kingdom. It said, then Jacob separated the lambs and made flocks face toward the street and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flock by themselves and did not put them with the Laban's flocks. That's a picture separating them out there. It's a biblical picture. It goes on into the New Testament, even in Jesus and the Olivet Discourse, where he talks about God separating the sheep and the goats. It's a scriptural idea, and we see it at work even here. And it came to pass, whenever the strong livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. Notice, he's not putting those in into the flock who are weak. He's separating them out. He's not letting them be apart because they're not able to be who they're supposed to be. The bad part about this is they're not born again. He says, "Thus, and this is all about conception. If you'll notice, it's all about conception. It's all about being, and it has strong spiritual significance. I don't see it as clearly as I, I see a lot of other passages, but this is an important passage about separating the flock out and allowing the flock to be the, who the flock is supposed to be. And then those who are not ever going to, they're not born again, separating them out. And the word of God separates people out. It's not our job to go and figure out who's lost and who's saved. It's our job to share God's word. And I'm going to tell you, if you'll share God's word in power, and if you'll share your faith and and your hope, those who are not interested in it will get away from you. They will. They'll just get away from you. And that's a hard fact. We want Everybody wants everybody to be born again. And there's nothing wrong with that in the church. There's nothing wrong with a strong desire to see everybody that you know be born again, but they're not all born again. And we do not need to populate our church with those who are not born again and attract them using worldly methods to get them there so that we think somehow some magic trick's going to happen. It's not how it works. And so when he did it the right way, when he separated out the flock and he, he made sure that the ones that were his were in the right place, it says he became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, females and male servants, camels and donkeys. Why? Because when you do things the right way, God blesses it the right way. And that's always been the case. It's never not been the case. It's just always been that way. And no need to get upset about it. No need to um, worry about it. What you need to do is be who you're supposed to be to the lost and dying world. And God is going to show you the people he's moving in their hearts. And when you see that, feed into them, give them hope, give them life, and then bring them with you. Because when you give them hope and life, they're going to be wanting to be where you're at. And where you're at is going to be at the foot of the cross. And when you bring them in, they're going to they're going to have that experience where they actually meet with the King of Kings and understand. And when that happens, you have done your job of evangelism. You've done the work of an evangelist. And that's some good stuff. It's really good stuff. I want you to be a part of that. I don't care where you are right now. I want you to be a part of seeing life change take place in others' lives. But the way you do that is you go into the world and you be hope and life to them.
And you'll find some people are attracted to it. And those that are attracted to it, you keep feeding in to their lives, hope and life. And eventually, their eyes are going to be open and their ears are going to be peaked. And they're going to, they're going to hear the good news. And they're going to be in a place where God actually changes their lives and gives them a new day. And what a wonderful promise that is. And it does work that way. And I pray that it'll work that way for you. And I expect it will. And as we go each day, we're to be the presence and the power of God in the world. We're to be the light of the world as Jesus was the light of the world. He said we are. And so we are. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.